Hello and welcome to episode 19 of the In and Around podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Will Hunt, and joining me this week, like every week, is Dave Harris. Hello. And Mikey Breslin. Hello. So what's the In and Around pod all about? Well, every week, three mates come together to get in and around and discuss and debate the world of football. However, there's not a lot going on right now, and you'll all know why. So we're taking this opportunity to go into football's past and have a look at some of the really the great things there and some of the not so great things. Um, this episode is another mailbag episode, so we're going to answer a few questions that the listeners have sent in. Um, if you want to send us a uh, question, you can do so by emailing us at inandaroundpod at gmail.com or by sending it to us on Twitter at inandaroundpod. So, lads, how are you doing? How are you coping with the isolation? Have you set up any... What The worst thing I heard it on a call in the pod was an isolation station. Which, dear God, was bad. But anyway, isolation station. Isolation station. How are you um, all? Well, I haven't set one of those up. <laughs> um, but now we're doing all right. Just uh, trying to keep myself busy. So, got a few things here and there that I'm doing. Uh, went out for a run this morning, doing a bit of bit of weights, which uh, I never. It was leg day today, which I hate leg day. Yeah, there was a shock over That's here. Dave will well know. <laughs> That is is my least favourite by far, and I actually did it today. That's how bored we're getting out here. Are you ready for the first tangent of the episode? <laughs> oh, God. Let's go. Well, I, used to, I used to have a, a friend at uni, and we always used to go to a gym together, except he could never come with us because he was always, he used to go to a gym like sometimes two times a day. It's ridiculous. Sure. At one point, he got yacked. Um, but he sort of would – you'd ask him what he'd gone to the gym, the gym to do and it would always be the like the weirdest com combination of things it'd be like he'd be like yeah i was doing um i was doing tries and lats and you're like what, <laughs> what? <laughs> but then every day you're like oh you, so eventually you just had a joke where you're like well what are you going today to do day today james are you doing forearms and toes <laughs> Give more up. anyway back on back on level playing field dave how are you yeah good thanks just same as everyone i think just trying to keep busy um, trying to keep busy doing exercise rather than just watching Netflix or something, really. Yeah, bit of weights, bit of running. Just Spe- speaking of second tangent of the episode, um, I started as you two know, I started Sunderland must Sunderland till I die. I keep calling it Sunderland must die, <laughs> <laughs> which is that's how you feel after watching Martin Bain. For but let me tell you now, Martin Bain, I've got, I've got three observations one, his shirts are way too tight. Three. He always feel he's wearing a different. Skip to three there. <laughs> sorry, much like Martin Bain, he's always skipping the in between. Um, second is they have possibly some of the most incompetent people in football. It must Darren be. Gibson is but, an absolute wonder in that first you know, season. So I felt for so far. I feel sorry for Darren Gibson. I feel like he's a bit of a whopper, but I also feel a bit. Has sorry. he crashed the car yet? Well, no, he hasn't crashed. Yeah, it. wait till we get that part. Um, <laughs> Johnny Williams is an absolute champ. He is. He's a champ. Uh, and Honeyman's an absolute champ, and he clearly loves the club. Um, but it's... Not anymore. Yeah. Not anymore. It's fucking bizarre. It is it's like... Oh. And it, let me tell you right now, what I could do with less of is them telling you what a great place. Um, oh, we need the football club to be good, because otherwise Sunderland has nothing. I'm like, Sunderland has nothing. <laughs> Hasn't Neil, it? have you got to the deadline day bit in the first season? Yeah, yeah. Well, that, I like the transfer window stuff. That's have have you seen? 
have you ever seen a team so disappointed not to pick up Ross McCormack? Because that, that's the thing. That's the thing. You like you <laughs> sat there and Simon Grayson. This is when you know he needs to be sacked because he's he's getting there really disappointed about not having Ross McCormack. And I'm like, this is a man who Steve Bruce leapt a fence to have a scrap with. It's it's all not good. Hold on. One observation to take from this: in one of the first episodes of that that first season, he sits down with his scouting. And one of them went to watch Zlatan when they had a yeah. six hundred thousand budget. Yeah. yeah, and he went to watch Zlatan. Why? <laughs> but no, when Martin Bain said it, I originally <laughs> thought it was a joke, and then I looked at his no, face. No, it's, it's serious. What? <laughs> he sent a scout to watch Zlatan, and they had six hundred k to spend on a player. <laughs> you could get him for two weeks. Yeah, it is. It's a baffling, baffling, baffling program. Anyway. Um, we're not here to talk about that, not least until I've finished both series. It'll probably be next week. <laughs> um, we're going to instead ask take a question from a listener, which is, what five players would you pick to take a penalty to win a World Cup? And you have to pick a goalkeeper too. So let's assume that um, the other team scores four penalties, so you need your five players you pick to score five penalties, um, and you need your goalkeeper to set, make at least a save. Um, Dave... Mm-hmm. I imagine, by the way, there'll be some overlap between all of yeah. us because we'll probably pick great penalty takers. So when you hear one, take the moment to discuss it. Um, Dave, you want to kick us off by giving us your five penalties and goalkeeper and why? Okay. Uh, firstly, Pirlo. Just mm, the great man. Always, just not even just penalties, just in general on the pitch, always seem to have a lot of composure. Always very calm player. As Penanka against Joe Hart, I think it was, was outstanding, to be honest. Um, so I'd definitely back him to be up there. Uh, obviously, Sir Frank, uh, Frank Lampard. Yeah, 52, Sir Frank Lampard. 52 penalties with a 92% conversion. So I think he maybe missed two at, or three at most, um, which still from 52 penalties is outrageous. Um and yeah, again, a bit like Pirlo, pretty calm player, not just with penalties, just, just in general. Cristiano Ronaldo being great at penalties for probably, I'd say, most of his career. It's always when he runs up, he knows he's going to score sort of mentality, which is what you want in a penalty shootout at the World Cup. <laughs> um, Interestingly, he missed one in, in the Champions League final. He did. I can... Oh, yeah. Tell you about that myself. Oh yeah, um, but yeah, you would you would probably have Ronaldo despite that one. I've got him certainly. Um, Gerd Muller, uh, the old Bayern and German player, Germany player, scored sixty-seven penalties. Um, he did miss a couple as well. To be honest, I did look into it. He did miss fourteen, but still, you... I'd back him. Most of those misses were towards the end of his career. So I'm I'm thinking him and his prime. Prime time. If you he's, he's going to score his pens. If you take a lot of penalties, you miss a penalty. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. It's just law of averages, isn't it? Uh, yeah, and then, you're going to miss some. Uh, my fifth player, I could not put him in. He, he has a penalty named after himself. <laughs> Antonin Penanka who literally firsted the Penenka to win the Euros 1976 against West Germany, the deciding penalty. Um, 
And as I put there in my notes, I think since that penalty, he's been carrying his balls around in a wheelbarrow because <laughs> the audacity to do it. This is Czechoslovakia <laughs> against West Germany, West Germany being one of the best teams in that era as a whole. And, and they managed to get to the final and he basically chips it down the middle to, to seal the Euros. Just incredible. Yeah, um, like some cojones. And then keeper, I've gone with Oliver Kahn. Uh, just a bit of a madman, but great at saving penalties. Pretty good record with them. Um, yeah, that's basically my my five penalty takers and my keeper. I'm hoping to save the one to, to make it 5-4. Interestingly enough, um, I had Pirlo. And then I googled Pirlo plus penalties to give you a quote that Pirlo had said about penalties um, because I just like to do that and when I googled Pirlo and penalties did you know that of the 117 players to take a penalty 116 players to take a penalty for Juventus in terms of conversion rate Pirlo would rank bottom is that because he missed all of one pen no 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 he missed a couple he's not a particularly consistent taker okay. of penalties well, I had I actually had a surprising honourable mention, who's also Italian. Um, Domenico Crescito actually wow, has 16 out of 17 pens, and he was on 16 and never missed until he missed one in Feb. So it's oh, pretty impressive, drafted. to be honest. Yeah. That reminds me of that Balotelli, that mad Balotelli stat for years, where he what, taking a stupid number of penalties. Um, Mike, give me your five and a keeper. Yeah, so I've gone all Premier League. For mine, I don't know why. I just fancy <laughs> Premier League. <laughs> okay. Um, so first one, Matt Letizio. Uh-huh. All these stats that I've got are according to transfer marks. By the way, I d- I've seen various other stats while I've been researching this, so mm-hmm. I'm going off what transfer mark says. So Letizio scored 27 out of 27 according to transfer marked. Pretty hard to argue with that. Um. I was a big fan of his as well, so he makes yeah, the, he, he makes the five. The Great player. player. Big Dennis Burkamp, number two. 22 out of 25. Pretty good record. I think he's he's cool and calm enough. He slots it home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I'm more of an EFL legend, probably. Uh, Graham Alexander. Yeah. Known for his penalties. He scored mm-hmm. 56 out of 60. I, I don't remember seeing him miss one, but clearly he has missed a few, but I do not remember that happening. Four, Mike. Well, yeah, four. <laughs> That's I'm, a... I'm, I'm lobbing that into a few. <laughs> um, Shearer's, I mean, this guy's taken 65 oh. penalties and scored 63. When Shearer hit him, they stayed hit as well. Yeah, they stayed yeah. God, He just smashes it, and I'll rate that. Yeah. Um, that. Do you know who remind who takes penalties a bit like uh, Alan Shearer, Harry Kane in the, the bloody wallops of yeah. that? Yeah, yeah, even if the keeper gets a hand to it, I don't. They're think not keeping them out. You you're going to struggle to keep it out. Yeah. Um, number five, bit of a dark horse, Dennis Irwin. I didn't okay. realise, but he's actually scored thirteen out of thirteen, and used to take some penalties here and there. So yeah, quite impressive. He's in there. That's a, that's a pretty impressive record for the absolute legend. Quick side note on him. We went for a stadium tour of Old Trafford. I don't know if I've ever 
said that we went the day after United got knocked out of the Champions League by Bayern, which is, why, which is why I hate Iron Robin. Um, so, yeah, so the place is a bit dead, but in the lobby was Dennis Irwin. And uh, we were just checking in and stuff, getting ready to go on the stadium tour. And he was like, and he was talking to, talking to my dad as if he knew him. And we were like, what the hell is going on? This is a United legend. He thinks he knows my dad. <laughs> I thought he was going to give us the tour. Maybe he's just a really friendly bloke, Mike. Maybe. But it was, think... it was very strange. But there's a Dennis Irwin story for you. Um, Not a good one. I uh, <laughs> I was in a meeting. I was, this is a tangent. I was in a meeting once with... Um, uh, some people who do security for uh, they do security at various um, Premier League football grounds, and um, they were telling the story of how they because they go to hospitality and all these things like that. And they were telling the story about um, it was Andy Cole, I think, and two other old boys at United, and they would they were working the room as you do at these hospitality events, and they said Andy Cole was a bit. Um, bit like unsure of how to do it, whereas these old boys who'd been around were just going around, shaking hands, talking to everyone as if they knew them. So I think after a while of doing it, it obviously comes natural to these people. So yeah, maybe that so is what it is. Wouldn't surprise me if Danny Irwin saw you guys around for the tour and he's like, "Well, I'll make their day." He definitely did. To be yeah. fair, a, a young Mike was loving that. <laughs> um, young Mike. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, goal, goalkeeper wise I was going to go with Van der Sar purely because I just love the man Okay, and he saved Anelka's penalty in the We're Champions talking. League nope not talking about that <laughs> <laughs> um, I, and I just love the way that he stuck his arm out and I'm pretty sure psyched Anelka out I'm pretty sure he psyched him out Listen. Um, but I'm not going to pick him because I'm going to pick a man who gets subbed on to save penalty yeah. shoot yes Stones Yes, he's just Tim Krull. He's got uh, names on the water bottle, Tim Krull. Yeah, Yeah. that is so cool. Um, So yeah, Tim Krull makes it. I I haven't got any stats for him because I literally changed it about while Dave was talking. That's okay, I've got stats. The guy got subbed on in the World Cup to save penalties. He's in my team. He also saved pens against Tottenham in the, was it FA Cup for Norwich this this season? And he had the names on his water bottle again. Mm. Impressive. Yeah, so he's in. That's my six. They they win. There we are. Now you guys, you guys, when when we put these questions in the chat earlier, you guys obviously went away and you did lots of preparation. You thought you did. You went on to look for transfer market to look at stats and conversion rates. When I did it, I came to the quote from the pig the Pink Panther, where he's look, talking to the art dealer and he goes, I want to see your big brass balls. And all I thought about this is I need players who've got big brass balls. So number <laughs> one for me is Sir Frank Lampard. Uh, as they've already mentioned, I'm going to nick your stats. He's got a 92% conversion rate. However, he, is, he holds the record for, as he was stepping up to take a penalty at Munich, he is the only penalty other than Drogba's I've still seen. Um, and he was the only one I felt comfortable watching because, as I said to my dad, there's no way he misses this. He would never miss this. And tell you what, that is a big, big statement to make. Yeah, (laughs) he was stepped to take one, and I said there is no way Frank Lampard misses a penalty in this cup in this final. No way. And I was right. The only one I felt comfortable watching other than Drogba's, and I didn't feel comfortable watching Drogba's at the time. 
slumps in the others. Apparently, David Luiz takes a great pen. I haven't seen it. Um, next one, Penaldo, CR7. Um, the man just scores penalties for fun. Um, he's possibly the most, the best finisher the world's ever seen. Debate as you like between him and Messi, but there's one thing he's certainly better at Messi than and it's penalties. Um, yeah, that is definitely true. Yeah. Next, the next one I've got is um, I'm going to talk about Stones again. I'm going to talk about Zinedine Zidane. The man chipped a penalty in a World Cup final in your last game ever in your career. Bang. That's all I need to say. It went That's in how you the, go out. I'll tell you what, it went in off the bar. And could you imagine? <laughs> could, you imagine if he, could you imagine if you missed a penalty and then headbutted someone? <laughs> his heart would have been in his mouth when you that have, hit the bar. You have to come back for four more years if you miss that. You have to come back. because if Well, you, after, after the headbutt as well, you have yeah, to come back. You have to come back. Anyway, and I don't have any records of how good he was at a penalty. But again, if you... If you say to me, Zidane's the fifth penalty take, Zinedine Zidane, great players find a way. Uh, number four? Apart from Messi. Apart from, well, I, I, yeah, yeah. Number four, um, a player arguably better than Messi, it's Eden Hazard. Um, <laughs> I, I, I can't endorse that. <laughs> no, I can't endorse that either. Eden Hazard uh, has a very nonchalant style of penalty taking, which has caused me to almost have a heart attack on numerous occasions. Um, he sort of gives the keeper the eyes and sends it the wrong way. Interestingly enough, missed a penalty against Crystal Palace that would have um, given Chelsea the Premier League title, however, headed in the rebound. And that was the first penalty he ever missed for Chelsea in like 20. Very good player, very good calm penalty style. And the very last one is uh, Italian, Del Piero. I did think about putting him down. Slaps him in. Here's a stat for you. Concerted 82% of his penalties, which you might think to yourself, that's that's not a great conversion rate, but who cares? <laughs> because <laughs> you watch him take him and you're like, bloody hell, that stayed hit. Um, and then at other times, he was really graceful with them, chips and everything. And then the person I'm having in goal, T-Rex himself, Manuel Neuer. Um, as I've discussed on this, uh, this podcast, Manuel Neuer in the Champions League final, um, and another penalty shootouts is a huge, ginormous individual. Mike's showing us his chest. Um, it's a huge, ginormous individual, and he's his routine is he slaps the bar to show you how tall he is. And genuinely, as he slaps the bar to show you how tall he is, I think he grows to the size of the giants in Jack and the Beanstalk, and it is fucking terrifying. And I wouldn't be able, I would I wouldn't even take the penalty. So that's what I'm hoping. I'm hoping a few people crumble and can't even take the penalty before they get there. But those are my um those are my five and a goalkeeper. And I'm sticking to them. So you should. Mm-hmm. <sighs> oh Moya, hey. Man, yeah, you love a bit annoyed, don't you? Oh, I really don't like him at all, but uh, I'm terrified. <laughs> The thing is, he looks like a bad. He looks like he should be the bad guy in Die Hard Six. He <laughs> probably is. He probably could very well be. Like um, another tangent. Um, John Cena's the bad guy in um, Fast and Furious Nine, and I was watching a film called Blockers with John Cena, in which he is possibly the funniest man to ever walk on the uh, the earth. So if you haven't seen it, watch Blockers. <laughs> Don't watch Fast and Furious. They're terrible. Are you, sir? Oh. Not lying. Um, <laughs> the next question is, um, what transfer was your club linked with that you regret didn't happen? Now, um, 
we've all picked a couple here because me and Mike certainly is fans of bigger clubs. So yeah, you've, you've, got, you've got a big range of stuff have, to pick. Have a huge amount to pick from. Um, we get stupidly linked every day. Like I remember literally like, every day, man. You fans get what's the one? For a, the... Yeah, another name we're spewed linked, out. We're linked with Lewandowski today. I think was the one I've seen, and we've been linked with him for like twelve, three summers in a row. And I just every time I see it, I'm like, that is laughable um anyway because we've got so many to pick dave you've got some particularly creative ones talk to me well <laughs> really had to to look into these because we're not we're not really linked with anyone not what? of anyone of note one second dave i just want to give a quick shout out before we when we do the pre um pod document dave had cider berahino down Along with the caveat, I feel he would have turned it around us and we pressured him into taking it out. So I just want to make that sure. Well, we literally, I mean, the most exciting player we've been linked with this season was Narky Wells. So that tells you all you need to know about our transfers. Go on, Mike. (laughs) Yeah, I'd I'd also like to say that after slating Lovencrans on uh, the last episode. Oh, he was at Blues. Blues signed him. Yeah, I know. I, I know that. I know. So it wasn't good at us either. Yeah, I just wanted to make sure everyone's aware of the standard of players that Blues are normally linked to. We, sign. we get some Leon Best there? No, he's too good for us. No, they really. had Marlon King instead. Clayton Donaldson, however, would have played. I tell you what, Clayton Donaldson, he used to absolutely bag. He was a bagsman on FIFA, that's what he did was. Any, did anyone see that video of him? <laughs> the ball, while he was at Blues, the ball uh, bounced down to him. And he just spooned it into the crowd. Yeah. yeah. It's been going around Twitter recently and it's like Clayton Donaldson's really good at football. And then Donaldson himself retweeted it or something. I tell you what's um was really I he was in Sunderland till I die in the first series because he's playing for Sheffield United and he scores a winner against them. And as it happens, I was like, Oh, because I know who Donaldson is, this is all the more painful. This is all <laughs> the more painful. Um anyway, Dave, sorry. Okay, so my first one is a transfer that I wish had happened, but in a way I'm glad it didn't happen because I don't think he would have become the player that he has. Um, Gareth Bale was not doing well at Tottenham when he first went there because he was signed naturally as a left-back but wasn't really good enough defensively. So they were trying to convert him to a winger, but he wasn't really hitting the ground running. Um, we got linked with a move of him in 0 um, for around £3.5 but Tottenham decided to keep him because they thought deserved another chance, um, which obviously served them well and Bale well because turned into a world-class player and at one time the most expensive player in the world. However, I would have loved to see Gareth Bale in a blue shirt and it's just one of those wonder what could have been. But he certainly no. wouldn't have been anywhere near the player he, he turned into, would he? No. No. No, I'd like to point out this would have been Bale going from <laughs> prime Van der Vaart and Modric to Van der Vaart, what a player, by the way, to Lee Bowyer and Barry Ferguson is what he would have been playing next to in that midfield. <laughs> That's how you're bringing the best out of a fiery left winger. Could you imagine if, if Gareth Bale didn't exist? It doesn't go there. It changes a lot. Like Atletico Madrid have a Champions League. Um, 
Liverpool have another one. Oh god, it would have been horrible. Because there's no way he goes to Blues and is a success. No, <laughs> no way. No offense, Dave. But there's just no way, is there? <laughs> Not to that level, no. <laughs> the only people in that era that Blues had that made a success were goalkeepers. They uh, went for a real spell. Jim- and that's because they got Pennant. lots of experience. Jermaine Pennant, you're forgetting, went straight to Liverpool from us after one great season. Yeah, he was a great success. <laughs> he was when he, he was he was when he wasn't leaving his, leaving his car in a, a Spanish car park somewhere and forgetting about it. Oh dear. Uh, right, who else you got? Secondly, uh Fabrizio Micheli, bit of a FIFA legend for all of those that have played around yes, FIFA twelve thirteen. Um, he was actually linked with us from Palermo. Um, at the time, I think he was around 2011 it was. Um, that season we didn't have a goal scorer because we instead signed Zigic for six and a half million. But basically, Mickley didn't want to leave his team. Uh, we agreed the deal with them. He even thought like got fully to contract negotiations then so his heart wasn't in leaving Palermo um, but at the time he was a great great striker could have you know really scored quite a lot of goals for us um, and then looking at the striker we signed instead Zigic who became a bit of a cult hero but never really the goal scorer that you'd hope and Zigic lived not far from us as well yeah just want to... Nikola Zigic <sighs> I don't want to hear any slander because he's gonna he's gonna be re-mentioned later in the pod. Yeah, he's a he, cult hero. He was he was one of those players I used to watch, and you'd be like, "I'm not sure, just at all about you." Hold on, let me. Um, quick thing about Mickley. Um, he's currently serving a three and a half year jail sentence for part of a mafia extortion racket. Yeah, I, was, I did see that fact. come up actually in the news. Fun fact. Is this is this another one of your facts that aren't true? No, it's oh, true. Man. I saw it. I saw it happen. I, I didn't see that. it happen. I wasn't being extorted. I saw it in the news. Mike's referencing. I messaged our group chat earlier today because I saw a stat doing the rounds and just thought it was so funny that I chose to believe it. It was that Maldini and Baresi only conceded twenty-three goals in one hundred and ninety-three games. And I looked. <laughs> I, looked I can't believe like, you even considered it. I looked at it and I'm like, that stack. I thought to myself, that seems a bit far, but you know what? Let's roll with it. That, that's one in every ten games. That's conceding four and a half goals a season for five seasons. Well, yeah. <laughs> it's just how much respect I have for uh, Maldini. Anyway, um, Dave, got one um, more. Yeah, I'm just Zigic. By the way, the season before we signed him, he actually scored thirteen and nineteen in the Liga. So maybe it wasn't that ludicrous of us to go for him, but still, Mickley was a bags man even even after this time. Um, and the third one, uh, it's one I've had to pull out the hat when you're thinking about Narky Wells and Burrahino actually making a top three. Um, <laughs> Harry Redknapp, uh, as everyone knows of Harry Loves the Signing, sent our scouts far and wide across Europe, actually came back with the recommendation of Flonde Mendy, uh, the left-back who was playing in French League, League Two at the time. Um but instead, we went for a double signing of Maxime Collan and Hotter from Brentford. Collan, however, is great. No slander to Maxime. Hotter, terrible. Amazed we ever got any money from him from Villa. Um, but imagine Fulon Mendy. Again, probably wouldn't be the player he is now, but a great fullback nevertheless. Um, 
quick side note to when Blue Harry Rad, Harry Redknapp was um, Blues manager. I was walking through um, the uh, village where we live, uh, or oh, well, the village near where we live, and um, I was I think I was coming back from work. I was working at a pub at the time, and I walked past the local Italian restaurant, and I looked in the for some for some reason I don't know why I did. I looked in the window, and there was a tape. There was. It was like probably about ten o'clock, and it was pretty. It was empty in there except for one table, and everyone else was sat at this table like really normally. And then on the end, facing the window, was Harry Redknapp, and he was sort of like on a chair, like leaning back, arms outstretched, just really talking, really animated. He faced like a a melted jellyfish, like really <laughs> red, and he was just like holding court like an old king. And I was just stood there mesmerized for a few minutes, and then thought, no, he can't go in. Can't go in. Carried on. But yeah, the one time I've ever seen him, except obviously when he's in the dugout of an opposing team. Anyway, Mike. Uh, yeah. So I've narrowed mine down to three. Also, um, again, we get linked with players pretty much every window. This is one of them. Um, Wesley Schne- Wesley Schneider. Um, Ooh, big Wes. Yeah. What a player he was back in the day. Still annoyed at him for not going to you guys and taking money in the Turkish League, to be honest. Yeah, I'd love to see him in the Premier League in a red shirt. Um, I feel like he was linked for about six years in a row. Definitely. Just every window. We were either trying or not really trying to get him. Um, I just would have loved to see how that would have panned out. The guy was an absolute baller. Yeah, and yeah, shame he took the money in Turkey. Really, when we talk about, we talked the other week about um, who should have won the Blonde Or um, Wesley Schneider that season where Inter won the treble. Oh, um, he gets and he's the key man in a really average Holland team getting to a World Cup final. And it's at nine ten. Oh, nine yeah, 10. nine to nine ten. And um, he didn't even make the three-person ballot because Xavi, Iniesta and Messi made it. And it was an absolute farce. He was just unbelievably gifted, Wesley Schneider. Incredibly talented player. Range of passing, unbelievable. Could score a goal. Bit of a a nasty streak as well as you Mm. get all the great Mourinho players. Absolute shit. I think he might be playing in uh, Qatar now because he featured on the um, Sky documentary about Qatar. Well, that would make sense. Yeah, he was talking about what it's yeah, like. Yeah, he is. There. He is. Yeah. yeah. He, um, one of the all-time great misses. Yeah, that that was a real shame. He never came to the Premier League. And the next one, not necessarily. I don't know whether how good he would have been or or what. But I used to love Perisic probably before most people cottoned on to him. I would say, yeah. and we were linked with him for quite a while again. Yeah. I always wanted him, but it just never seemed to happen. Um, yeah, like, like I say, I've always liked him, apart from until this season, when his storyline card came out on FIFA. <laughs> and I have that card, and it is terrible. <laughs> just doesn't do the guy justice. Perisic was always a bit of a weird one. I first heard about him when he played for Dortmund under Klopp. And he was always whinging about not getting played enough. And he saw, oh, hello, boys. He sort of left um, and then went to Inter. And then sort of career never really exploded there. He to Bayern. And I'm sort of like, obviously, when I've seen you play, you're pretty quick, strong, 
good finisher, great both you great with both feet. Um I don't sort of know why it hasn't worked out for him and why he's bounced between these clubs. But um that could have been quite an interesting player at United. Yeah, I've always found that strange with him. Um never quite became what I always thought he was gonna become. I don't I don't think I was alone in that opinion. But uh but yeah, that would have been an interesting one, I think. Uh and then number three, a bit more recent. So for those of you um, who were watching the January window obviously Haaland was the hot talent that, um, it was either United or Dortmund really were in for him um, that would have been lovely Lukaku gone um, get Haaland in the guy just scores goals I think he's yes, going yeah. to be a talent for some years to come um, I actually think Dortmund was the right place for him but Personally, being a I think fan, I'd, I'd yeah, love them to come to us. Um, particularly after you find out it was what, like twenty million they paid. What an absolute steal! Not a lot at all. Um, um, he's really good. He is. So yeah, we're in my number three. I tell you what, that's a good trio. That it's a really good trio of players. It's not quite. This trio of players, are you ready for this? <laughs> um, I'm gonna go from I'm gonna go from the least good to the to the absolute pinnacle. Um Alexandra, twenty seventeen, um attacking fullback. Uh if place for Juventus. And you have a left back problem. And we had a left yeah. back problem. Now th- this Still is doing. this is more you gotta look at the context of this. Um Juventus told us it would be sixty million for him. Um, we're just coming off a league title in which Marcus Alonso had scored God knows how many goals. This is the this is the move that broke the Conte board relationship forever. So um, I'm just I'm sat here thinking. I didn't know that. I'm sat here thinking if we'd bought him, I mean we'd have still had Bakayoko, so we still would have been an absolute fucking train wreck in midfield. <laughs> However. Um, I think this could have been the one that took that team to the next level, particularly when you think of the Champions League where you need a bit more, of, you need to be better going forward and you need to be better going the other way as well. Um, so it's more just what could, because I sat there thinking like, Conte and Chelsea just went from being perfect to terrible in like a few weeks, it felt like, and this was short broke the camel's back. Now, number two. Um, and this one, you, when I say this this name, you're going to be like, oh, who's coming first? Um, it's Danny Alves. Oddly enough, you remember when Danny Alves went to Barcelona? Um, that was an 11th hour transfer, and we'd agreed a deal for him. Poss- <laughs> possibly the finest fullback in the modern game. He was well, certainly between him and Cafu in terms of an attacking brilliant fullback and you think of the joy we had with out uh, a, a right back across the football in Ivanovic um, I think he could have been much better oh Danny Alves what a signing that would have been oh what, my word what a player I can't yeah. remember that you got I didn't remember that you guys had a deal agreed before Barca got him no no and I that's amazing I remember being linked with him However, when I was doing the research earlier today, there were a lot of conflicting reports that a deal was agreed and then Barca came in and blew it out of the water. Uh, okay. um, but this is going to be one of them you find out in his autobiography. But just think of yeah. all the teams that would have benefited from having him. 
I mean, he would have been converted to a winger under us. He'd have been like Belletti. We got Belletti instead, so think of what Belletti did, and then it would have been him doing it at a much higher level. Yeah. And then number number one. Number one. Building suspense, Dave, for the for the viewers. I like it well. Andrea Pirlo, 2009. We were managed by Carlo Ancelotti, who was uh, Pirlo's manager at Milan. And um, everything was all set to go. Pirlo wanted to come. Thought it would have been a great achievement. Um, however, Chelsea had a policy at the time of only offering 30-year-olds a one-year contract extension. And Andrea Pirlo was 30. So he didn't sign. So you'd have had, you'd have had four options in midfield. Pirlo... Lampard, Essien, Balak. I mean, that is a real kick in the nuts. Yeah, he didn't sign. <laughs> For anyone the... that can't see, which is most of you, Will's just been hitting himself in the head with a wad of paper. <laughs> oh, it's so bad, isn't it? Like, you just think of... You just think of... Because oh, we're not like a year... How many years... years after did he play from 30? Another eight? Eight Seven. years, wasn't that? He was, Eight years. He was thirty-five, I think, when he left Juventus. Oh, so no, only another five or six then. But Doesn't still, matter, think of the some of his best did. years. Yeah, think of stuff he did. But... God, I mean, he's only two years removed from winning a Champions League final. This, this is one of the all-time horror horror decisions. Those are those are three transfers that broke careers of managers at Chelsea. Um, God, it was bloody awful, wasn't it? Yeah, that that Pirlo one and the Danny Alves and even Sandro. There's some, there's three quality players there. Three hefty ones that I think probably swing a couple of trophies as other ways. Anywho, um, question from another viewer. Hey, um, what's the goal you celebrated the most that wasn't scored by your team? Mike, do you want to go first this time? Uh, yeah. So again, we've gone for a couple of these. Um, so my first one will be uh, the Jamie Mackey goal, which indirectly affected my team. Uh, so that was the one that put QPR ahead back on that day in 2012 that we've discussed a couple of times on this podcast, um, which at the time meant that United were going to win the title because we were winning at Sunderland. Obviously, we know what happens next with uh, yeah. Giacomo and Aguero. But at the time... I was going mad because that was making it pretty difficult for City to win the league from there. I don't remember what... I can remember a lot about that game, but I don't remember any of the other goals except for Aguero's. I can, I can remember Mackey's one just because how mad I went. I'm not uh, and I know there was one that Lescott made a mistake for. I think it might have been the first Ciso, wasn't it? Ciso. Um, but yeah. So I went pretty mental then. Um, the next one, I remember watching at uni. Um, this, I guess, I didn't really have any affiliation with either, either team. It was the, um, the 6-1 Barcelona oh, against PSG in the Champions League. Again, I know I've brought this one up before. Um, oh, in 2017, hope. this was. Neymar pops the ball in. It's a great ball. Roberto, Sergio Roberto gets the touch. 6-1. And I was... While I was uh, doing I my hate notes, they for did this. this. Yeah, well, it was <laughs> absolutely. Well, man, I was going mad. You know the video of Rio Ferdinand. I think I've said this before as well. And 
the rest of the BT um, pundits going mad. Yeah. That is exactly what me and Dan from uni were like watching yeah. this game. We were going bananas. Absolutely um, mental. I hated that game. I still can't believe they did that. No, I, I remember hating it. I remember getting really up. I remember like me because one of our mates from uni was a was a Barca fan, and he was. We were watching it with him, and he was going mad. And Barca, if you don't remember, get as as in every great Barcelona Champions League performance, they get a they get more than a little help from the refs in that game. There's a few dodgy oh, yeah. decisions that go their way. And yeah, I remember if you're going to win 6-1, you, you need a bit of luck. Yeah, well, a bit of luck. <laughs> uh, by the time, I remember by the time that goal went in, I remember celebrating and then half celebrating, half being like, God, I hate them. <laughs> nah, yeah. I don't, you can't hate that. What you can hate, however, is if, if anyone would like to hear some horrendous commentary of an iconic moment, if you just go onto Barcelona's YouTube channel and watch the highlights of this game, they have a commentator on there and he is awful. I mean, he genuinely ruins this moment. I think I've heard it, Mike. It's terrible. It. I'm not going to try and recreate what he does because I don't think I can because it was that bad. Yeah. But if you want to see how to butcher commentary, this is how you do it. Yeah, we've we've talked about it on this pod. We talked about it last um, last week's pod actually. Um, a commentary can elevate a goal from iconic to um, an all-time great moment. Um, one last one for you, Mike. Yeah, last one. Because um, of because of where we live. Um, you tend, to, even though United are my first team, Blues, because my mum supports Blues, they're my second team. Um, so back in 2014, they were facing relegation from the Championship into League One. Um, again, younger Mike was revising for his A levels at the time. I think the first one started on the Monday after. Yeah, it was. I remember, I remember that, Mike. Um, so. I think they finished the championship on a Sunday, so it, was, it would have been the Sunday or the Saturday. I, I don't know. Anyway, I was watching, had Soccer Saturday on the background while I was re- revising, and it got near the end, and it was getting tense, and Blues were going down. I'm pretty sure because they were drawing away at Bolton. They were. Jordan Ive. Jordan Ive gets out on the left. <laughs> oh, my God, what a horrible player. Ebe, if you want to do what the commentator did, because I, I watched this goal. Ibe, that's it. Um... They, they, I think Zigic, it, it falls to Zigic anyway. He has a header saved, I want to say. gets cleared off the line. Or clear, which oh, I yeah, cleared off the line by in. Tim Ream, um, who falls over the keeper, which means Paul Caddis is there. And he Put just all heads five, it home. Like nine of Paul Caddis Probably the well. smallest player in the championship. <laughs> heads it home to keep Blues in the championship on the last day with seconds to go. And most people will have seen, if you have Twitter, the absolute pandemonium oh, in that it's way end. Mental. Absolutely it is serious. incredible. If you haven't seen it, go and find it. It's on YouTube or Twitter, I think. Um, I was going absolutely wild. It was great. I was running around yeah. the house. It was if, fantastic. If you want to watch that game, there's a YouTuber called Andy Yam, who I think is a Bolton fan, filming it from his end, um, which is sort of next to the Blues fans. And that second goal is just pandemonium. <laughs> yeah, because he gets to see all the players running towards from like close up. It's, it's outrageous. Caddis with his top off, 
yeah. What so a good. moment. What a moment. So good. That's my favourite out of the three, but yeah. Um, my days. I've got Jay. a smile on my face just talking about it. So. <laughs> well, that's how you know it's a good goal. Yeah. Um, Dave, me and you have um, two overlaps. Um, uh, we've both got Aguero versus QPR, which we've talked about a hell of a lot on this podcast. Yeah, that's true. Um, and then we've also got Hazard versus Tottenham that wins the... Well, you've got Hazard versus Tottenham. I don't have Hazard versus Tottenham, but I'd like to talk about Hazard versus yes. Tottenham quickly. Do you want to start us off with it? Well, I just remember Leicester with that incredible, incredible season uh, where, obviously, if Tottenham failed to beat Chelsea, Leicester were champions. And I remember the coverage they kept going to the Leicester players where they were all watching it, and I think it was Fuchs' house. Vardy's house. I just like to give him a shout-out anyway. Christian Fuchs wearing a... No, what was it? No Fuchs given t-shirt. Yeah. yeah. Um, wow, that goal going in and absolutely mental. Um, wow, it's just I just remember the feeling, just almost like goosebumps. Like wow, Leicester have actually won a Premier League. It's just mm. went absolutely mental, absolutely mental. And I love that game in as a whole, just full of drama. Plenty of shit housing as well. <laughs> yeah, BT showed it yesterday, so I gave it. Well, actually, they didn't show it. They showed highlights. I was I was yeah. told wrong, which I was pretty annoyed about. But it was what a what a game. Um, my top three celebrate most celebrated Chelsea goals of all time is uh, one which I think we're going to talk about in a minute, Dave. So I won't spoil it. Torres versus um, Barcelona when I was running down the street. Um, <laughs> running down the street. Uh, and then this one, because I was living in Leicester at the time and um, everyone was buzzing about the whole, um, just the concept of Leicester being able to win the title. It was magical. It was a great time to be in the city. But I remember after this goal went in, it was just fucking seeds everywhere. Just see the people are screaming, they're in their cars. Because you could hit, I remember like, this is how close I was to King Power. You could hear when they were, played Porto in the Champions League the next season. You could hear the Porto fans singing. Um, Jeez. So when it was all going off, like we were thinking, can we get to the King Power in our car? No, you couldn't get to King Power in your car. So we were in the car going around the city, honking the horns. Everyone was so gassed. It was a brilliant time. Brilliant time. Brilliant goal. Brilliant season. And also on a side note, we talk about rewatching games. That's a game we have to rewatch because that's one of the last like proper blood and thunder games of football this big. Oh, man. Because it, yeah. it is vicious. With yeah. Those two teams. You talk about hatred. That Chelsea team and that Tottenham team hated each other. Hated that, each other. That game got out of control because he didn't send anyone off. Yeah, Michael no. Oliver. Was it? Yeah. No, it was Clattenburg, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah it was Clattenburg. Yeah. He regrets that a lot. If he yeah, was... he wrote in his autobiography that that was the game where he realised that he wasn't a good ref anymore. Yeah, because Spurs, Spurs were, I mean, Chelsea were giving them a bit of aggro, but Spurs were, went out to hurt people in parts of the second half. They lost their head early on in that game. It was, it's a, it's a phenomenal game of football though. It's a phenomenal spectacle. I'm not sure how great a game of football is. Dave, you've also got... Another Chelsea goal. Yes, you have. Yes, which is... Our most celebrated goal of all time. Obviously, Didier Drogba against Bayern. 
I think, in fact, we were watching this game all at yours, weren't we, Mike? I, I feel. Well, that, we? could, that could well be right. I think I definitely watched this game at yours, and I swear, I know, I think you were there too, were, were you not? No. No. No, no I was I, watching, I watched this with my dad and my brother. Well, I just remember that whole game, you'd pretty much been under the cosh. <laughs> you can say that again. To say the least. This is, it's quick thing about that game, though. It is, you want to talk about, you want to talk about players peaking at the right time. It is the single greatest performance of John O'Mikel's career. He is brilliant in that game. Brilliant. And you want to talk about the worst performances of career, Jose Basingua. Yeah, I was going to say. My God. He's missed. But anyway, tell me about the goal, Dave. Well, the, the header where Drogba just rises, and you've seen it so many times before. So I've watched and, it already today. <laughs> and you just know with Drogba that it's going to take a very good save to say to to keep this out. And you're thinking, and sure. can't do it. And yeah. also you're thinking, this is Drogba in a nutshell. Big game player, so reliable. Yeah. Just rises, meets it. Goes in, absolute scenes. Somehow, they've kept the dream alive after looking like for the entire entire duration of the game that it's out of their reach. Obviously, then going on to actually win it from this goal. Oh, just unreal. Yeah, um, absolutely unreal. The, you want to talk about goals that are elevated by commentary? This is it. This is the. This is one of the most pure Martin Tyler. Martin Tyler, like in the span of a couple of weeks, has Iaguero. I swear you'll never see anything like it again, which is the peak of his career. And then he comes to this game and he's like, he's like, they've pulled the rabbit out of the hat again. Yeah. yeah. And you're like, oh, you're like, goosebumps. And this is such a special goal. Um, Torres wins the corner. Matt is going to take it. When Muller scored the goal at the other end, my dad turns to me in his true prophetic way that he always is, goes, well, there's no way you're. It's over. I'm afraid it's over. I'm afraid it's over. <laughs> and I'm there going. And I believed that it was over um, for the second time uh, in the Champions League run. And then Drogba turns up and hits, hits this header. I don't think he could have hit it any harder with his feet. It is... Yeah, not... it's bullet. Neuer gets a little bit of a touch but can't keep it out. It is a monument of hell. It's like... It's pure, it's pure spirit, determination and willpower, which is kind of like the whole message of the Chelsea run to the final anyway. But Dave? My f- yeah, my final goal, uh, Gareth Bale, 2018 Champions League final, the bicycle kick against Liverpool. Um, I remember that it was on the same day as the playoff final that Villa lost to Fulham. We watched them all in the pub. Which we watched all in the pub and many drinks being consumed. So Will's anti-Liverpool sentiment had definitely rubbed off on me at this point. Um, <laughs> so when this went in, just mental. Um, also, the quality of the goal was, wow. I'm not even sure it's talked about enough. Uh, a 10 out of 10 perfection bicycle kick. Champions League final. Can it? Does it get any better than that? Dilly I'm dilly not dilly sure dilly. it does. Here's the thing about this goal. Um, for years, everyone talked about Zidane's volley against Leverkusen being the best Champions League final goal of all time. And then you watch this one and you're like, it's just perfect in every aspect. And it's the only bit of quality in like a pretty dire game of football. Yeah. Um, and it was monument. It was such a good goal. I, I remember celebrating as well, thinking this is... Because you... 
you always want the English teams to win. However, mm-hmm. Gareth, by extension, Gareth, I want Gareth Bale to do well. Yeah, because I just, I just, he was getting such a stick from the Madrid fans. This felt like such a crowning moment for his career. It was great. I love that goal. Mike, what do you think of it? Oh, fantastic goal! I remember being uh, pretty steaming watching that game. To be fair, yeah. Um, Cracking yeah, weather, I remember as well. That that was glorious. We were outside, yeah, I think, watching that game. Yeah, oh, the mate's arms, Sully yeah, Ollie, t- on it. <laughs> tiny little box screen outside. Yeah. Um, but it was enough that you could see what an unbelievable goal in yeah. a final as well. The skill it takes to do that. Yeah. I tell wow. you what. Speaking of that tiny little box screen, I've watched some painful games of football on there. Semi-final. Uh, World Cup against Croatia, uh, oh, yeah. England versus Iceland. Um, that'd been a painful oh. one. I mean, a great one for you, Brez, was when we went to see a uh, Man City versus Man United, and they're two 0 down. And I, I turn to Mike and I go, "It's all right. They'll score three and win." <laughs> I remember that. Yeah. I'd given up at work. I, it was we were two 0 down by the time I finished work and came to the pub. And so, and suddenly we started turning it around. Yeah, it's an old timer. Um, so I have Aguero versus QPR, um, which we're not going to talk about because we've talked about it um, ad nauseum several times. Iconic bit of commentary, great goal. Balotelli's only assist, the best start in the history of the Premier League. Um, just mental all time moment. I've also got. I've got one that you'll think of, and I've got one that you won't think of. Benteke versus QPR. 3-3. It's a free-kick goal. It's a story behind this. I was at the game. It was a midweek night. Villa were... Talk about, you talk about being in the ground and just getting the, the atmosphere in the ground, and it makes you celebrate. Um, Benteke had scored two. Um, however, Villa were heading into the final minutes 3-2 down. Gets a free-kick. I turn to our mate Ross, and I say... They're putting Benteke and I'm like, why is Benteke taking it? He can't score a free kick. They're trying to win the game of football. And look what they're doing. They're effing up. And Benteke steps up. Bends it. Goes in the back of the net. Pandemonium. Pandemonium in the stands. Pandemonium on the pitch. It was mental. It, and Villa only drew 3-3. It was a terrible result at home. However, it was one of those... Truly, like special classic game of football that's never going to be remembered except by the people who were there. Celebrated like a madman. <laughs> and the other one is um, a truly traumatic night in my life. Um, so last year, Spurs and the Spurs Liverpool Champions League semi final could only be worse if it was Arsenal Spurs. Um, it was the only way it could be worse to me. I remember going into this game and we we were all hating it. Everyone who was going to the pub was hating this game. We all didn't want a winner. To be honest, it makes you feel better. Will I woke up at seven in the morning to watch this in New Zealand? So better. I was actually advocating for a tsunami to hit the state. <laughs> I, I just hated every minute of this. So I made the hard decision to um, to support Liverpool, um, and it was a hard decision uh... lubricated by many pints. As we all basically we all drank through our pain. In this. Me. However, after the first goal, we were more steaming at this Champions League yeah. final than the other one. We were so wankered by the time of kickoff that I remember them getting a penalty, and I said, "You'll never walk alone," and it's the worst. <laughs> <ever>. <laughs> However, 
it all pales into concept of the idea of Tottenham Hotspur winning European Cup. Like, get the fuck out of here, what you did. Anywho. Could you imagine? (laughs) Tottenham winning a European Cup? No. You just know if they would have, someone like Eric Lamella would have scored the winner as well. I mean, it was bad enough that Origi scored in the semi-finals and the league and the final itself. It was bad. It was was bad. This whole run of Liverpool dominance has been pretty depressing, to be honest. It's been horrible, if you ask me. Some smiling bloke who blames his team on the wind. Prick. (laughs) Um, Anywho, last question. Are Sky and BT ruining football? So... Before we get underway, let's qualify this. Sky and BT pump immeasurable sums of money into the top flight game. You can now practically watch any fixture you want. Um, however, they will move games that are possibly worse for the fan and make some other questionable decisions. Um, you've each got an opinion. I will mediate and sort of... You know, keep it under wraps, but uh, yeah, I, I get. I have a strong opinion on this one, so it's up to you too. I get both sides of the argument, but I'll let Mike put forward his side first. I think. Uh, okay, so uh, I'm for what? What am I meant to be doing? That they're not ruining football, right? <laughs> well, this is what you've written. Which side Mike? am I meant to be on? Well, you you're saying that. Uh, hold on, you're saying that. They You're are ruining football. You're saying that they, they are, are ruining football. Yeah. Oh, okay. This is fine. I I couldn't remember which side we decided I was on. <laughs> okay. Um. So yeah. So. So the traditional Saturday three p.m. kickoff. You can pretty much forget about that. That's gone. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Forget about it. Unless you want to watch Bournemouth. Don't bother. Even even Sully or Moore's games get moved for this. I would like to point out. Yeah. Yeah, even the National League games are getting moved just so they can go on telly. No one watches a 5.15 National League game, BT, just so you know. Um, no one. Literally no one. Like the Moors Unless it's Solly or Moors, I will not watch it. I know, I tell you what, even the Moors can be on telly. And if I've already watched a game of football that day, I'm thinking, I don't think I want to watch another one. So, if you're a traditionalist, football's already ruined because you're Saturday 3pm. Forget about it. There's about three Premier League games a week there, Saturday, 3pm. Yeah. Um, there's football every day of the week. So it's once you've watched a couple of weeks, not at the moment because we're in isolation, but after <laughs> a few weeks of the season, you're getting pretty bored of football every single waking second because it's on Twitter and it's on your Facebook and it pops up on Instagram and there's just so much of it. And you can't get away from it because there's another game this evening. And then there'll be the fallout from that game. There's even the BBC even do a podcast now called the Football Daily. Every yeah. day, <laughs> because every day there's another game to talk about. Just, quick, it's just mental. A, just a quick thing. The worst. The app. The Sky not long ago decided they were going to do the debate, um, which is obviously a rip off of all the American yeah, sports shows. And what they didn't realise about the American sports shows is that they're fucking terrible. And that if you take if you take the same concept and you fill it with people who are even worse at the job, um, like 
Oh, I don't know. You got Paul Merson in there. He thinks he's he thinks he's ordering beer at a bar. He doesn't know what he's doing. <laughs> he's reformed, all right. Hey, sorry. Yeah. My apologies. My apologies, Paul. I do like him. Um, as you say, they've pumped huge money into the game, which means there's now an absolute chasm between the Premier League and the Championship, which in turn means there's a huge incentive for Champions League club uh, Championship clubs to spend totally ridiculous amounts of money on a gamble to get themselves into the Premier League so that the money they've spent doesn't look so totally ridiculous because now they're making bucket loads of TV money. Just to put this into perspective, a Premier League club makes about £100 a season from TV money. Leeds, who I think are the top in the Championship, make £3 a year. So it's a £97 million gamble. I'd just like to... Get in, then you're sweet. But if you don't, like a lot of the championship clubs, only three clubs go up. A lot of the championship clubs, particularly it's coming to light right now, are in financial ruin, including Blues. Dave? Anyway, um, go on, Dave. Yeah, actually, it's interesting you mentioned the championship. So 2018-19 finances got released for championship teams. On average, every uh, championship team their wages were 120% of their income. So that's excluding transfer fees, um, obviously gate receipts. That's also yeah, excluding so... that's also excluding expenses like getting the players to games, transfers, it, it, you know, paying so... your non-playing staff, paying your people that work in the stadium. This isn't even included. And their wages... The most shocking, actually, is Reading. <laughs> Ooh, definitely aren't going up. Their revenue was Ooh. 18 million, uh, and they spent 41 million on wages. So 226% of their income the, was just wages. The golden rule, I believe, is typically, you know, you're in a clubs in a stable places, wages take account for 70% of your expenditure. Yeah, so in the Premier League, the average is about 80%, I think. From what yeah. I've been hearing recently, yeah, in the championship, or as there high was as only seven teams that had less than ninety percent. Ridiculous! For that season, totally ridiculous. Yeah. Um. However, yeah, go on. You guys do the other side then. However, Dave. Yeah, I mean, I do get that side of it. However, I think on the other on the other foot. It brings in so much money for the game now that you could argue that, well, like, I mean, it's it's sort of hard to talk about this side, actually, with what's going on in the current climate with them talking about the money they would lose, lose from TV money. Um, but if you're one of the teams that gets a lot of TV games, say, for example, Man United, you could, you could basically make a signing and know that the money you're going to get from the TV that season that's going to finance it. Um, and it's just it's just huge amounts of money that allow the clubs to keep growing, I think. Especially a team like Burnley. And they, but, they know that... But while they all have... While you're making the point that there's more money in the game, is it a case that there's just more money in one part of the game? Because you don't well, really yeah, see more money in the, down, do you? Yeah, I agree. There's more money in the, the Premier League. Um, 
I mean, I think the big bonus of Sky and BT is more people get to watch games is that the fan experience has been enhanced so much. Even just watching the coverage, they'll give you stats of players that, to be honest, even people watching the in the ground may not be aware of. Um, so I think you could argue I'm certainly that... not aware of it. Not when I'm steaming and I'm shouting <laughs> at a Georginia. You could definitely argue that those that's almost made football fans as a, a whole that watch the games more informed because they're not just sort of passive watchers anymore. They're sort of getting stats to take into account. Um, and that may well help them broaden their knowledge. Also, the argument for me of people having to support their local team, it's just a bit nonsense. Like, in this day and age, there's so many clubs that are basically global brands. Just because some guy for example, lives in another part of the world, he shouldn't promote, he doesn't have to support his team that no one's heard of because he's worried of what Gary from Manchester thinks of him supporting his team from Manchester. He can watch all the games if he chooses. Um, And it just makes it more accessible. I think it makes, I mean, I agree, it's mostly the Premier League of benefits. But it, it makes it probably the most watched league in the world, I would would imagine. Solely because of, of them. And that only brings in like look at your preseason tours that all these clubs go on. Do you think they'd have that sort of fan base without their games being on TV? Because I'm pretty sure they wouldn't. They also do those tours to expand their fan bases, but yeah, yeah. I know what you mean. I know what you're getting at. Um um, I just think. Well, I. What I, side are you actually on, Will? Well, we, neither me or you haven't told me or Dave. In this. You said you had a strong opinion. We haven't heard it yet. I want to hear. Oh, it. I, I said I don't have a strong opinion. Oh um, right. Okay. Thing is, the thing is, there's no doubt that for, that Mon- Sky and BT has been better for the prem. It's been better for the Premier League. There's no doubt in my mind that it's made the Premier League more accessible, has made the Premier League a more watched brand, has helped the clubs that are stable and in the Premier League. No doubt about that at all. Um, I just think, in terms of have they been good or bad, there's two, there's two things I don't like. One, it's the Sky. Sky is, is a dodgy company at best of times. Yeah. However, they run a 24-7 Sky Sports News channel in which they often, um, they will often, so, take, so say they say Nicholas Gaitan's going to Man United. Yeah, just well, so they can put it on Skybet. Yeah, so they can put it on Skybet. That feels mm. like it's wrong, and it feels like... I agree, that is wrong. They're exploiting people. Um, they also perpetuate um, the media sensationalism. They're, they're part of, so when we all complain about Raheem Sterling getting both battles in the press, Sky are as part, much a part of that as anyway. And it's the idea of that we constantly need content now, which means they churn out content that's less good than it is before. Like we talk about the debate and things like that. They just churn out content. Like as good as Soccer Saturday is, it's the one thing Sky does really well. And even, and then if you get to BT, like you watch their coverage and they're, it's not very. It's not very good at all, quite frankly. Um, but again, it's about exposure for the league. And the second thing is, I'm not. 
the whole point of a sport having more money and having an increased TV deal is that the idea is that the money trickles down. And whether or not you believe trickle-down economics works is a different matter. But the idea is if they're rich at the top, the lower leagues should be rich too. Mm -hmm. So if you've got loads of money in the Premier League, you need to see loads of money in the lower leagues. You need more investment at a grassroots level. You need um, better facilities for everyone. You need to make... You need to try and help out the sport be as stable as possible. And with, I mean, maybe I just haven't done the research, but I'm not sure that Sky or BT understand perhaps their moral obligation here. They definitely sure don't. Obligation that they have. However, yeah, I agree they don't. Both of them do show plenty of low league games, but obviously, yeah. When you compare the money, I guess it doesn't make business sense for Sky or BT to show those yeah. many of those games. And therefore, they make way less yeah. out no. of it, I guess. Business-wise, no. it makes sense why they don't, but I know exactly what you're saying. It's, it would be nice to see the money trickle down more. It's a fair point in how much of that is is on the shoulders of the FA and the Premier League rather than, than, than yeah. Sky and BT. However, I would like to see Sky and BT booted out the game and I would like the Premier League to start a Netflix system so I don't have yeah. to get around you for streams to watch Chelsea versus Bournemouth only for Chelsea to lose. <laughs> yeah, my main thing about Sky and BT is how expensive they are. So for people prohibitively expensive. It's yeah. it's for people who might not be earning as much, it's gonna be hard to have two subscriptions at whatever they are a month. I don't know the exact figure for Sky Sports and BT, because you yeah. want to watch a lot of football. But the the it, that would be solved by the Premier League Netflix thing, which could be ten pounds a month or whatever, and have so many more subscribers. That's where I'd like it to go. Um, I think it will go as well when this yeah, deal is up. Um, yeah, I I think they've been great for the game, actually. I was just arguing the other side. But my main problem with it is how expensive it is. Yeah, I think it's a problem. I do understand the impact on fans, though. Um, I mean, for example, they'll put a game on a Sunday at a four o'clock kickoff that doesn't take into account the fan experience. Actually, I can talk. Uh, I think in November, I was going to go to a Man United game against Aston Villa uh, because one of my mates is a Man United fan. Um, and by the time the game finished, there was actually no train for me to get back to Birmingham. Yeah. Um, which I know is a very specific example. But also but- on that note, Leeds, Blues Leeds, when we play at Ellen Road, is usually on Sky because it's pretty much always a Tuesday game. Um, and, yeah, that's because it's always on TV, it's always an 8 o'clock kickoff. It's very hard for Blues fans to get to and from Leeds. Um, I know that's very specific examples, but I, I do understand the impact it's having on your fan that, you know, for years could have been going to 3pm games on a Saturday. That was their weekend. And now they could be... Game at seven forty-five. I'm just trying to leave work early, having to rush from work to go to an eight o'clock on a Monday or a Friday game or a Saturday lunch sun- or, or a Sunday game at any point or even a Saturday night game. Yeah, it's it's they sometimes get painted as the big bad, and I think it's probably a slightly more complicated issue than it is as a whole. Um, but it's very interesting. Um, really good that, question. I think that was from Chris. He sent us in a few questions. So yeah, thank you again, Chris, Chris, for that. Yeah. yeah, thanks, Chris. It was the mighty Chris. Um, 
who I do think... we know what his opinion is if we don't let us know chris what, where you stand on that yeah chris send us a dm and if you listener have any questions for us please send us a dm on twitter at in and around pod or email us at in and around pod at gmail.com that will actually do it for this week i think you can follow me at will hunt 17 dave where can i follow you uh dave harris underscore 44 and mike where can i follow you uh, at mikey Bresson on twitter perfect um until next time as always stay safe <laughs>